0: Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. Uh, We are looking forward to a really, a a show that I'm really excited about today. Uh, I always enjoy having guests in here, and by the way, we are coming to you uh, by tape, so don't try to call in. We are normally a call in radio show, and we will be again next week. Uh, But today, just sit back and enjoy it because we have someone who is a wealth of information on diseases, especially diseases of trees, and that is Dr. Dave Apple. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you, Skip. I'm really excited to be here. That's uh, I, I, me too. Probably not as much as I am. Uh, Dave is a professor emeritus and an extension program specialist uh, with Texas A&M, and he uh, has, gosh, I, his his years of experience are are um, d- just invaluable. Uh, when you you know, it's one thing to look at the books and know all the official. Answers to things, but when you have years of actually touching plants in this case, uh, touching the diseases of plants uh, you just come away with a wisdom that goes beyond, and that is something that is just hard to replace uh, for sure. So, Thank you, Skip. Well, uh, Dave, I have I actually have a question that I love to ask guests right up front, and that is why and how did you end up getting into the field that you did? Uh, how, how does a uh, you know a young man suddenly decides this is what I want to do and what was that process for you? Well, I've I
1: have always been interested in trees uh, ever since I was uh, uh, a little boy, uh, climbing trees, hanging around trees. I grew up in West Virginia. It's a rural state, and so and uh, uh, trees are very important to the state as an industry, and so when I went to West Virginia University, I was going to be a I wanted to go into forestry, and for several reasons. It, it they My advisor decided that I would be better suited for biology. And so I embarked on a biology degree. Okay. And uh, uh, I, I had the opportunity to take some electives, as mm-hmm. you do as an undergraduate. Mm-hmm. And so I took a class in plant pathology. Ah. And that's when I got hooked. I okay. was absolutely amazed with the idea that plants get diseased by yeah. germs, essentially, mm-hmm. microorganisms. Mm-hmm. And I became fascinated with that, and I approached a tree pathologist mm-hmm. that was in the Department of Plant Pathology at, at WVU, mm-hmm. and we hit it off right away. And he had he had just happened to get a big grant on Dutch elm disease, oh, okay. and he was looking for three master's candidates, and that's and, and the rest it's all is history. Hit, that, that's exactly <laughs> right. You well, know? that
0: that is that is cool. I, I just find that interesting. Uh, you know we're going to talk today about uh, all kinds of things regarding trees here in the community. Uh, we we say at the extension office that the three things that make the phone ring are the three t- tree, three T's: trees, turf, and tomatoes. Nobody ever calls me about their kohlrabi, uh, but uh, trees are are just huge, and I I just every day get at least one, if not a number, of tree calls because people get concerned, and they should be. The, uh, the things that, uh, the value of a tree to the home, uh, just the sometimes sentimental value, the, the value for shade and making your place an enjoyable place to be outside. And uh, it, it's, it's really understanding that people would, it be a major cause co- for concern. And we've lost a lot of trees, uh, I'll say lately, but of course that happens all the time, cycles year to year and so on. Uh, and so I'd like to kind of enlighten folks today. i like you to enlighten folks today about how tree how trees get into problems and the common problems that that we find. So I think is that is that a good topic?
1: That's a that's a that's a very broad question, Skip. But it is. But, but when you take a, a subject like uh, mm-hmm. tree diseases, yeah. there, there are literally hundreds of diseases of mm-hmm. trees. Every tree out there is susceptible to one disease or another. Another, and some of them are susceptible to dozens of different diseases. Mm-hmm. So I like to categorize all those different diseases in, into a a simpler. Way way to think about them for example and there and there's a number of ways to do this this, okay. this does not come out of my brain it, I mean we uh, 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 we encounter these different categorizations all the time mm-hmm. but the one I like to use right currently is that there are a number of diseases that trees live with mm-hmm. and really don't do a lot of harm mm-hmm. uh, 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 trees are like people they, they right. get diseases that are minor that they accumulate down through the years um, there's a There's one thing that tree pathologists always emphasize to people is that trees never heal. They always accumulate. All of the environmental insults that they've been exposed to Mm -hmm. through the years, they carry that with that Mm -hmm. uh, through their entire lives. So we have many, many diseases that we call endemic or Mm -hmm. native to an area that trees have evolved with down through the eons, and they live with them nicely. Now we have the second category. We call these the emergent diseases. These are diseases. diseases that occur when something changes in the environment Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden one of these endemic I'll call it harmless pathogens, mm-hmm. then becomes emergent on the diseases. Right. And, and these get people's attention then. These are the ones that all of a sudden, they weren't there last year, yeah. or, or, uh, and, and people say, wow, this tree just died overnight. Yeah. And, um, so, and that's, that's where you start getting the phone calls. Right. Right. And then we have another category altogether, which are the invasive pathogens. Okay. These are the d- diseases that get or the pathogens that get introduced Mm-hmm. Um, from another state, uh, it can even be from another part of Texas sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but they in, start invading into a tree population, mm-hmm. and again, those are are the really, really bad ones that that, mm-hmm. that get people's attention.
0: Well, an oak uh, Dutch elm disease you mentioned in your background that that's an example. Boy, when it hit the eastern seaboard. It changed things. Uh,
1: uh, Dutch elm disease at, at the time, like, uh, like uh, uh, another invasive that people are familiar with, mm-hmm. chestnut blight. Mm-hmm. A lot of people know about that one. When those uh, pathogens were introduced into North America, they, they changed a lot of things. In mm-hmm. agriculture, uh, uh, in the way that USDA had to start dealing with mm-hmm. uh, the realization that there were a lot of pathogens out there that are great threats yeah. to uh, important commodities. So, yes, Dutch elm disease was. Yeah. Was one of those?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I remember a poem from childhood: uh, "Under the spreading chestnut tree, the village smithy stands." Well, uh, nobody knows what a chestnut tree is anymore. On <laughs> right here, it's kind of like singing, dashing through the snow at Christmas. Nobody, nobody in Texas yeah. has ever dashed through the snow <laughs> yeah. in a one-horse open sleigh. Yeah, uh, but seriously, it it did change things, and and we have some diseases like that. We're going to talk about them today, uh, that have changed things here in Texas as mm-hmm. well. Um, one of, the, one of the things that I think would be good to start with is um, oak decline and just the whole concept of what is oak decline? Is it a disease? Why do we just look around town and see this or that oak is dying? You know, it's been there for years in my yard. Maybe there's three others around it and one, one's dying. What, what's going on? And again there's a nice broad question yes, for you. Yes, we, we could if we have a couple
1: hours I think we can That's thoroughly right. uh, uh, cover the topic. Uh, th- th- let's let's talk about this word decline for just a second. Mm-hmm. The, the word decline in forest pathology does have a fairly rigid Uh, uh, meaning. Mm -hmm. Now, we use it a lot in the common vernacular. People talk about declines all the time. Mm -hmm. People decline. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, But with trees, we usually, when we use the word decline, we think of a problem on the tree that has a number of complex interacting factors which are working on that tree. And again, we categorize these factors. Mm -hmm. We put them into these Mm -hmm. categorizations so Mm -hmm. that we we can teach people about them. And also, it helps us do research on them when we do that. So yeah. declines, declines are uh, 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 a very familiar problem to tree pathologists. If yeah. you'd like me to go into what these categories are, I'd be glad to.
0: But uh, just kind of a brief overview, kind okay. of idea, just so yeah. it it helps us to think better about it. What what you're describing to us and about to describe to us allows us to walk out and not say, "Oh, that tree just died overnight." Exactly. What killed it? It it's it's much more complex and inter- interlaced than that. So go ahead.
1: Yeah, so, so declines, or, I mean, trees have this disadvantage that they, they are stuck in one place their entire lives. So they're going to be exposed to a lot of mm-hmm. environmental extremes right. that they can't uh, get away from. So right. they're going to have to compensate for these environmental extremes. For example, here in Texas, we've had some severe droughts in the past 10 years. We've even had a severe freeze episode that, right. that is a big problem for these trees. So these trees are living under stress. Mm -hmm. So that's one category, the the predisposing stress, we call it, that these trees are exposed to. And then we have the inciting stress. These are the things like the the very, very severe droughts Mm -hmm. and the very severe freezes that Mm -hmm. we've had. And these uh, uh, affect a tree that's already been exposed to mild droughts and mild Mm -hmm. cold and all of the stresses that come along with the urban environments Mm -hmm. like soil compaction, Mm -hmm. overwatering. There you go. These, sorts of things. And then we get these trees that are damaged by these very, very severe stresses. And then they get attacked by fungi that normally do them no harm. This Now we come back to those native endemic pathogens that Mm -hmm. I was mentioning. These pathogens are are, are sort of in waiting for the tree to become weakened so that they can, again, attack the tree and finish it off. So it's a very complex problem uh, that that we call the declines. Mm -hmm. And it isn't that we don't know what causes it. Mm -hmm. It's just that the specific factors change from Mm -hmm. one geographic location to the next. They also change from one year to the next because the climate uh, is going to be different from one year to the next as well.
0: Right. Well, you know, one of my frustrations in answering these kind of tree questions, why is my tree dying or what's going on, is that at the time that question is asked, there's not a lot I can tell them to do about it. Uh, you know, if we were, if they were calling me before they planted a species in a location, we could direct them to a species that could handle that moisture soil or were prone to drought. If they call before they trenched, for utilities around the tree, we could have done a lot to help with that, uh, or or uh, built the house, and the tree got that bumper blight from not having its trunk protected, or if they uh, prior to compaction, or prior to watering and watering and watering and taking that tree's root system to a point where you can't just spray something on it and make it go away. Uh, And that's what's so frustrating, so once they call, often there's not a lot I can tell them other than like the old doctor uh, for the cold, uh, get plenty of rest and drink enough fluids or whatever, you know. In other words, just try to keep your body in a spot where maybe it can heal itself. Is that a fair analogy for trees? Or?
1: Well, it, it is it, it is a very difficult question as mm-hmm. as to, uh, uh, let's say, for example, somebody has eight to ten post oaks in their front yard. Mm-hmm. The house has been built within the past two to three years. Mm-hmm. They've put in a St. Augustine lawn. Mm-hmm. They're in a development that has changed the overall hydraulic movement of water mm-hmm. uh, uh, throughout the entire development mm-hmm. so that, who knows, their lawn may get, be getting too mm-hmm. much water yeah. or it may be not getting enough water. Mm-hmm. but. Uh, uh, it, it it can be frustrating to try to tell people what to do, but we do ha- now have some recommendations uh, um, depending on the specific site and what the stresses are that led to the problem in the first place okay that it, it, and um, uh, uh, so w- we can take a look at the tree we can look at the symptoms it has, we can get the site history and then we can start making some recommendations.
0: okay well I think that I think that would be helpful because. So many this summer, it just seemed like worse than normal, the number of trees that that seem to be dying. so go ahead.
1: If I could make a suggestion on it, uh, just as an example, uh, our post oaks, mm-hmm. you mentioned post oak uh, decline, mm-hmm. uh, uh, people oftentimes plant St. Augustine grass right up to the base mm-hmm. of the post oak tree. Now, that's a very dangerous pr- practice with post oak. The post oaks don't like to have wet feet. Right. So here's a simple recommendation is if there are any remaining trees on the lot, then pull the St. Augustine grass back for several feet around. Mm-hmm. Around the base of the tree mm-hmm. uh, uh, get the grass back put a very very light layer of mulch not too much don't make a volcano around the base oh, of the tree yeah. because that's very very hard for it mm-hmm. but put a light layer of mulch around that area don't come in and plant vinca or some other plant mm-hmm. in there that's going to need water mm-hmm. and allow that area around the base of that post oak to remain dry and that goes a long way towards helping some of these trees that are just starting to go into the decline. Mm-hmm. And also the remaining trees that are still healthy to be able to fight off the root rot organisms that would normally develop in that wet spot around the tree where the yeah. St. Augustine is getting watered.
0: That's interesting. I, I tend to anthropomorphize a lot when it comes to plants and things. But, uh, for me, an analogy is, you know, uh, three people go to a party and, uh, Two of them come back fine, and the other one comes back shaking the same hands and whatnot, breathing the same air, and they they picked up the flu or a cold or something. And so many things like eating properly, getting plenty of sleep and rest and exercise, those all set us up for health, whereas the opposite sets us up. For, for catching uh, a mm-hmm. disease. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, I think with trees, it sounds like that may be the what you're saying. But...
1: In part, uh, mm-hmm. that's the situation. We can, uh, again, bas- back to post oak decline, we have managed to do a little bit of research. Mm-hmm. And we know that the, the soil type that the post oak is growing on is extremely critical. And people don't understand soil type changes from their backyard to their front yard yes. around here. Yes. And one of the big things is depth to clay layer. Mm-hmm. And if you have a lot that has a very shallow depth of clay layer, then that that's, lot's going to hold a lot of water. Right. And the post oaks, if they start getting the overwatering, uh, well, not the over, the normal watering for the St. Mm-hmm. Augustine decline, yeah. then those are the trees that are going to start suffering because they mm-hmm. the drainage isn't quite what they need to be able to, uh, 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 again, fight off the root rots that mm-hmm. are going to inevitably start showing up on these uh, uh, trees with wet feet.
0: And 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 it kind of makes sense because when you think about it, there's a post oak belt that runs, kind of south and a little west to north and a little east as you kind of go through Texas, and a lot of the soils are more of a gravelly kind of soil. Maybe drought prone, but it yep. it's it's not a swamp. That's for yep. sure. Yeah,
2: uh, for sure. It,
0: there's a reason that they're native to that kind of mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, what what are some general tips that you would give somebody who is trying to take a tree that now is has problems and uh, try to give it the best chance of recovery and well
1: yeah. Well, well, it's always good to get a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, and I'll, I'll say, call your county agent. And, and uh, that's always a good place to start because uh, uh, in this case, if you don't know the specific answer, sometimes you can uh, uh, allow them to get to a different authority. But it's, And we also have the Texas Plant Disease Diagnostic Laboratory mm-hmm. here locally. Uh, we have the benefit of being able to just take some limbs and branches and leaves off the and carry them out to the clinic and uh, fill out the form and pay your $35 and they'll give you a uh, uh, some kind of opinion on it, a yeah. diagnosis. So that's really nice. Diagnosis is always the first step in mm-hmm. getting a, a, a solution to a plant problem. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it depends on what the diagnosis is. Again, getting back to watering uh, um, and, and lawns and and concrete and these sorts of things around our trees, there is a, a, a treatment that we call vertical mulching okay. that is very, very good for a lot of our tree problems, locally here. And I, I, I won't go into the uh, uh, speci- all the specifics but nonetheless you can google vertical mulching and you'll see that it involves drilling or poking mm-hmm. a whole lot of, of holes around the, the root system of the tree mm-hmm. and then adding some kind of a supplement depending on what the problem is and sometimes the hole is the answer. Yeah. It's not at any putting anything in the holes. Yeah. It's just trying to get some aeration down, down in of that clay layer mm-hmm. uh, down to maybe eighteen to twenty four inches right. and and just getting some air movement down right. there, trying to get the feeder root system stimulated. Sometimes just just a vast array of holes under mm-hmm. the the drip line of that tree okay. will give it a lot of benefit.
0: So I wanna I wanna take off on that vast array because I know people are trying to picture what on earth is, is a vertical mulch and And you're talking about drilling a hole that's not just like a a one-inch deep broom handle type hole. You're talking about something a little bigger?
1: Uh, Two inches in diameter is fine. And Uh, about
0: how deep, typically?
1: uh, uh, Well, now that depends on what kind of soil type Mm -hmm. you have. Around here, we usually recommend uh, 18 to 24 inches.
0: Oh, that's very deep. Yeah,
1: around here, that would be very deep. Now, uh, 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 there are post oaks growing on six inches of soil out in the hill country with caliche underneath them. But they can't read.
0: Those trees can't read read. Uh, if they could read, they know they couldn't live there.
1: Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> you're right. And it's going to catch up with them eventually, too. Yeah. But, but uh, there, the holes that we recommend are uh, uh, as deeply as right. you can go. Right. Sometimes it's 12 inches. And and then you put a different kind of amend, amendment mm-hmm. out there than you would around here.
0: And back to the vast array, you're not talking about drilling five holes underneath a post oak tree. Uh, you're talking about holes that are like, what, a foot apart? or
1: Foot apart on one to two feet spacings. On mm-hmm. a grid, mm-hmm. and you start two or three feet out from the trunk of the mm-hmm. tree, and then you work it out. Sometimes beyond the drip line, mm-hmm. but a lot of times that where we're recommending this are on trees that have a, a, a driveway that was put in two mm-hmm. or three feet on one side, so we only have a half of root right. system left on this tree to work with, right. and sometimes it's even less. Yeah. But we have found down through the years that that th- this kind of a treatment actually can turn trees around mm-hmm. that are in danger of going into these declines.
0: Well, that's that's good. A, a very, very helpful. Uh, one thing that I often tell callers is if you interviewed a tree and said, how close to grass do you want to be? It would say over the horizon. I don't want to see grass, period. Uh, with the point being they grow in a forest. Well, I'm generalizing here, maybe not with a post oak so much, but a lot of trees grow in a forest where you have a lot of leaves on the ground that are creating a litter that's decomposing. It's protecting the soil. It's releasing nutrients and and on and on. Uh, And it's a nice environment. And then when they get with the lawn right up to them, there's a competition. Plus, you mentioned the excessive watering that we do on our lawns, unfortunately, is just a a death knell for a lot of trees.
1: Yeah, Yeah, uh, you are absolutely right, Skip. This, uh, um, uh, uh, in a, in a natural forest ecosystem, when we look at it, we need to recall that at one time that might have been a grassland. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, a whole lot of Texas, uh, uh, when the early settlers came out, uh, was grassland and mm-hmm. savanna. And once we stop the fire control mm-hmm. uh, or we start fire control, we overgraze yeah. and that sort of thing, the grass goes away and yeah. succession starts taking yes. over, which uh, ultimately leads to lots of trees. And if we come back in and start building around it and put grass in around these Mm -hmm. trees, we have, just as you said, put the competitor back Mm -hmm. there, which the trees
0: have trouble competing with. Yes. Well, that's interesting. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about uh, some of the other uh, diseases. I'd like to hear a little bit about oak wilt because I know people probably, the listeners probably have heard about oak wilt before. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what it is and how it gets in an oak tree and uh, how you prevent it.
1: Uh, Oak wilt is one of these uh, issues that doesn't fit into my category, Skip. So you went right to. <laughs> well, uh, 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 I was hoping to yeah. get questions that make me look good all the time. Well, but, nature but, but... <laughs> nature
0: does that to me too. I, I give it a box, yeah. but it just sticks its exactly. arm or leg right out the side.
1: Yeah, oak wilt. We're not sure about where oak wilt came from. Okay, it's not like Dutch elm disease, and especially here in Texas, uh, I, I, I have a hypothesis that it probably came from farther south, mm-hmm. and during the last glacier, uh, it moved with the trees uh, uh, back up into North America from Central and South America. Now we don't have a lot of evidence for this one, Skip, but right. uh, but I I can usually support that claim, mm-hmm. and we'll just leave it at that. We're not mm-hmm. sure where it came from, okay. but it is it is in present in 22 other states. But if you look at the mm-hmm. distribution, you have to look at it and go, wow, there's something going on here. Yeah, but but we do have trees in our area that are susceptible to oak mm-hmm. wilt but we don't have a lot of oak wilt in Brazos County simply mm-hmm. because the predominant forest type here is post oak okay. and post oak is very very resistant to oak wilt mm-hmm. so we it, it's very difficult for the epidemic to get built up around here so it, so okay. we do have oak wilt it's caused by a fungus a very aggressive fungus mostly on the red oak group which are things like uh, shumard oak pin oak mm-hmm. you get out in the hill country where oak wilt is epidemic mm-hmm. you have Texas red oak, blackjack oak, these sorts of things. So it, it's a very aggressive uh, uh, fungal pathogen. And it, it is, is a big problem in about 60 to 70 counties, mostly west of I-35.
0: Okay. And what does it do? How does it kill the tree?
1: Well, once the tree is infected, it plugs up the vascular system and specifically the xylem water conducting cells on the inside of the tree mm-hmm. underneath the bark. Mm-hmm. It's it but it, it is only the outermost growth rings that are that are functional on a tree, however. Mm-hmm. So once this extremely virulent pathogen gets into that that okay. sapwood we call it, it grows rapidly and just essentially yeah. plugs up the vascular system of the tree.
0: Yeah, so no water so you might as well have pulled the tree up and set it on the sidewalk it, it it's it's in the same condition That's right it, it needs to pump water and it can't get water yep So, how do we fight it?
1: Well, we do have a control program for Mm -hmm. oak wilt. There are several things we can do. One of the best things is to prevent it coming into the area in the first place. And it gets moved around Texas by firewood an awful lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, The fungus is able to make its fruiting bodies. Mm -hmm. Think mushroom, Mm -hmm. uh, only underneath the bark. But that's Like a mat of spores. It's a reproductive phase. Mm -hmm. And it, it, uh, uh, it can be moved. These fruiting bodies can form on firewood so that if somebody let's some say somebody goes hunting out in the in, in right. the fall uh, uh, on a ranch out in the hill country and there's somebody nearby selling firewood and they say right. gee I'll take a load of that back with me yeah. and they go back down to Houston with it and put it in the backyard mm-hmm. they don't they don't burn it all up mm-hmm. and the following spring that the oak wilt fungus it's called Bretziella fagacearum mm-hmm. will make its spores on that wood and then move into the neighborhood right there. And so we get these outbreaks in, in Houston, in Lubbock, in Midland, mm-hmm. uh, uh, outside the range. But uh, a, a lot of that kind of movement is on firewood. So are, are you talking about like
0: green, fresh cut firewood yes, that's coming in? Yes, it's usually green. Like if yes. something is totally dry, is there a concern about the oak wilt coming out? Well,
1: this leads to one of our control recommendations. We recommend uh, buying thoroughly cured wood to the point that the bark is just about falling off Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and only use that. Uh, But we always caution people, if you've got some firewood from the hill country in your backyard, Mm -hmm. cover it with plastic uh, uh, the following spring. And a clear Uh, plastic, right? uh, Yes, we use clear plastic. Tell me why. Well, it's because it's an insect that that moves the fungus out of the firewood into your yard. And entomologists tell me, now I'm not an entomologist and I caution you, I don't like to venture into entomology a whole lot, <laughs> yeah. but entomologists tell me that if you use black plastic, they can see the the light coming through pinholes and yeah, that sort of thing. The light
0: at the end of the tunnel You're and right. they head for that. Yes. Well, that makes sense. It, you know? it, it, it has
1: always made sense to me. Yeah. So that's the recommendation I go with. So
0: with the clear, they just keep bumping against the can't window find their way pane, out. and they, don't, they can't find their way out.
1: And it's good to bury the edges of the plastic. Okay. And, and so that's one preventive measure for oak wilt. We have uh, uh, two others that people commonly use. One is to dig trenches uh, uh, around a disease center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the way oak wilt spreads because, in addition to spreading by insects, it spreads through connected root systems okay. between healthy and diseased trees through the vascular system again.
0: So, like two roots grew right beside each other, and as they got larger, they grafted or fused they, together, and then that's the pathway?
1: That's right. And then also with the live oak, it produces root sprouts. Uh, and so therefore, uh, out in the hill country, mm-hmm. again, used to be a grassland. Mm-hmm. The live oak took over once the the pressure uh, to produce grass was off. Mm-hmm. And the live oaks took, t- took over because they produce these root sprouts, and they maintain their common root sy- systems through mm-hmm. maturity. So in addition to root grafting, we have this added, even bigger threat of all these trees being connected through the common root systems. This is why it's a huge issue out in the hill country on live oak.
0: That's interesting, because that is a different uh, strain of live oak, and uh, some people may have noticed driving out there, unlike the... Southern live oaks where you typically see one tree, you see a lot of moths in, in those kind of areas. And that's kind of what you're talking about. It's a, it's a family. That's
1: exactly what I'm talking okay. about. And those moths back in the late mid-late uh, 1800s took off across the former prairie land. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have so many live oaks out there. And it's one of the reasons why we have so much oak wilt out
0: okay. there. So two ways that a tree gets oak wilt are... The roots connected to a tree that's sick, I'll use, here I go, anthropomorphizing. That's fine. That's sick. Uh, Or a beetle feeds on a mat, a mat of, or excuse me, a um, spores, a spore mat on a red oak and then comes and feeds on a wound on a live oak, not just a leaf or something, it's a wound. So therefore we've we've heard about you know we shouldn't be painting wounds because that doesn't help the tree heal but we, then we also finish that by saying unless you're in a place with oak wilt, and uh, talk a little bit about that, uh, painting the wound.
1: Well, yeah, the, the wound is, at, uh, as you say, it doesn't have to be a pruning cut. It can be any kind of wound okay. on the tree. Okay, storm damage. So uh, uh, the arborists always remind me, hey, it's not always us. Uh, there are a lot of other things that cause wounds, yeah. and they're absolutely right. And it, the wound has to be fresh. After about 72 day or hours, mm-hmm. uh, um, the wound begins to change. The surface of the wound changes. Yeasts mm-hmm. and bacteria grow on it. And the oak wilt fungus can't compete with those organisms anymore. Right. So there's just a very brief window that that, yeah. that wound is susceptible. But nonetheless, we have to get the pruning paint on it immediately.
0: So I'm supposing that fresh wound, there's a lot of volatiles that are That's... going into the air and the beetle smells that and heads that way? That's how it works. Is that how it works? Uh, yeah. So, so I've always yeah. told people if when you're going to be treating oaks that uh, have a saw in one hand and the pruning paint in the other. Uh, don't prune all your trees. Go inside, make lunch, watch the football game that afternoon, come back the next day yes. and try to spray them. Yes. Uh, it, it, it is really important to do it fast.
1: Absolutely. For... And that's what that's one of the other key oak wilt recommendations. That, normally, we tell people, if you're going to be wounding your trees, try to avoid the period from February 1 through the end of June. If you can delay having pruning done on your oak trees. Mm-hmm. Now, other tree species, it's fine. Mm-hmm. But if it's going to be oak tree, uh, mm-hmm. uh, oak species, then we usually recommend let's try to avoid it. Now, I know that trees have to be pruned year-round. Mm-hmm. So if you do have to have the pruning done, then mm-hmm. make sure the wounds on the oak trees are painted.
0: Okay. So I think what you were saying is the coldest time of the year and the very hottest time of the year because there's less beetle activity or less spore mat formation?
1: Less spore mat formation, less mm-hmm. beetle activity, and also the trees are less susceptible then. The trees are most susceptible to infection during the spring because they the very first growth of a tree in the springtime is the formation of the big vessels mm-hmm. that carry the water. Okay. And since those are the, the vessels that are being formed during the springtime, mm-hmm. if you wound into that wood,
0: then it's Easier for the fungus to grow through those large vessels in the sapwood. Well, that is interesting. So, um, I was not aware of how many places around the general Brazos County area had had oak wilt at one time or another, Uh, but that you were mentioning, there's been quite a few centers, but right now, it doesn't seem like we have this active thing like they see in the hill country where, uh, you know, you're watching your neighbor's trees die going down the street. Uh, but that could come at any time.
1: If we were going to uh, put a risk factor mm-hmm. on Brazos County, it would be low. Okay. Uh, um, it, it, as opposed to like Kerr County or Gillespie County, right. which it is extremely high. Yeah. Okay. Yes.
0: Good. Well, we've got uh, so many diseases, so little time uh so let's let's shift gears just a little bit and talk about uh, elms this summer, I noticed that a lot of elms were turning brown, especially the tips and edges of the leaf, which we usually associate with kind of a drought uh, damage. uh but I think there's been several things going on can you can you talk about our elms? We've got cedar elms, we've got winged elms, we've got uh, Chinese elm all kinds of different elms
1: yes uh, our predominant native elm in the area is cedar elm mm-hmm. and we we most of the calls we get and the samples we get in the clinic uh, 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 relate to the cedar elm okay um, so That's I'm a good f- tough tree it is a tough tree and mm-hmm. uh, no doubt about it and it, it but it does have a lot of disease problems uh, uh, one of the one of the knocks on cedar elm is that they always get yellow and brownish at the end of the summer, yes. especially very dry summers. Yeah. And there are, there are some pathogens that are responsible mm-hmm. for that. It's just that generally the cedar elms can pull through mm-hmm. these kinds of episodes, but there are exceptions. Uh, but, but getting back to the specifics of what the problems are there, one of the really common ones is bacterial leaf scorch caused by Xylella fastidiosa a bacterium. Okay. And it causes, you, you described it very nicely, those, that scorching around the edge of the leaves. This is a bacteria that acts somewhat like the oak wilt fungus, it plugs up the vascular system mm-hmm. of the
0: tree so that the fungus has trouble moving water. Okay. Well, uh, you are listening to Garden Success today, and normally we're a call-in show, but we're coming to you by tape today, and we have a special guest, Dr. Dave Apple, a professor emeritus and extension program specialist, uh, probably the foremost, I would say the foremost person I know that uh, it, when it comes to trees and diseases, uh, d- very popular speaker at a number of different events around around the state and really beyond the state. Uh, but also, uh, you're soon going to be a lecturer on the A&M campus again. Uh,
1: uh, yes, I'm going to be going back to teach a little bit of forest protection. That's yes. fun. I
0: yeah. may I may sneak in the back door and audit the back, back row or something. Okay. <laughs> I, I'd
1: love to see you there, Scott.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for being here today. So you were mentioning the Xylella, uh, and I'm going to come back to that one. Uh, but there's some other diseases uh, that uh, another type wilt-type disease that can affect elms.
1: Yeah, this one's really common. It's mm-hmm. called dothiorella wilt mm-hmm. or native elm wilt. Now, don't get it confused with Dutch elm disease. Mm-hmm. It is a wilt disease, but it, it is a native pathogen. It, it wasn't introduced like the Dutch elm disease pathogen okay. was. And this one is very common on our cedar elms. We see it just about every summer on isolated branches on our cedar elms start turning brown. Uh, we call those flags. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 they they appear gradually mm-hmm. as transpirational demand gets really high on these trees, okay. and the Dothiorella then takes advantage of the stress condition of the tree then, right. and it uh, will start uh, uh, moving through the vascular system and killing branches like that. Okay. The, uh, again, I might add, this is one of those emergent diseases that is worse during dry summers. Okay. Yes. Yeah.
0: So uh, I am going to go back to the Xylella. That is a that is an amazing disease that has, has changed Texas in many ways. Years ago when I was in Travis County, I remember driving out on the west side of town to some of those communities out west of Austin and seeing oleanders piled, you know, they look like buses parked on the side of the road. I mean, giant piles of oleanders because everybody used oleanders everywhere because the deer wouldn't eat it. And uh, when Xylella hit, I mean, it, it wiped it out. And it also has some other crops that uh, it's impacted, and I'd like you to tell us about
1: that. This, this is actually a fascinating bacteria, and I could go on about it for hours as well. You know, I, I give <laughs>
0: I give Dr. Ong a hard time about getting excited about diseases that kill plants, but I'll I'll try to tolerate that. Uh, okay, <laughs> I,
1: I probably should have used a different term, but but it 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 does have an extremely broad host range. Let's say, for example, uh, uh, the wine grape industry in Texas has mm. to deal with uh, Xylella. Okay. It causes a disease called Pierce's disease, and this is one of the major limiting factors yes. for uh, growth of uh, wine grapes on the Gulf Coast Yes, uh, because of the high uh, uh, level of Xylella that attacks the vines and kills them.
0: Yeah, when you think about wine and all the grapes, Cabernet, Sauvignon, and all these... Uh, the reason that they're not grown in College Station uh, very long, very successfully, is is because of that disease. That's, we have other grapes we can
1: grow. Uh, absolutely. There are other varieties that have native grapes in their backgrounds mm-hmm. uh, um, that we can grow and, and make very nice wines from them. Um, but, but if you're going to go with the uh, European varietals, mm-hmm. then you have to be aware that you are, you're going to have a tough battle on your hand around here.
0: It's probably not if or it, it's when. Yes. When it oh, plays. Oh, Will come, come
1: around. It's yeah. spread. The bacteria is spread by an insect, a very okay. common insect. Mm-hmm. They're called sharpshooters, mm-hmm. and so uh, uh, it's going to find its way around. Yes.
0: So if you wonder if you have sharpshooters, if you this summer were walking underneath your crape myrtles and enjoying the cooling mist, uh, <laughs> you have sharpshooters. So they're everywhere. And like a mosquito would carry malaria from from one animal to another, uh, this insect is feeding on a Xylella infested plant and bringing it in?
1: Well, they also feed on healthy plants, too. Uh, uh, They're they're everywhere out there. It's just that once Xylella builds up in a tree and starts stressing them up, Mm -hmm. sharpshooters start getting attracted to the tree. So it's kind of one of these things that fuels itself. Uh, And then the trees, if it's a tree, starts declining. Mm -hmm. Um, Oleanders, as you say, are very susceptible in the landscape. Elms. Uh, Our red oaks are very susceptible, too. The shumards and pin oaks are susceptible. Sycamore, very susceptible to Xylella. So yes. the,
0: the thing we call sycamore leaf scorch where you're looking at a sycamore leaf and entire sections, usually a V-shaped kind of section just turns brown. It, it yeah. eventually may work its way back even further.
1: Uh, uh, that's Xylella. So yeah. is
0: what's happening there, because I know with some plants, especially the oleanders and, and I know the, the grapes you were talking about, uh, it's just a plant killer. Uh, but I see a lot of plants that survive with it. Uh, redbuds uh, is one that seem to kind of keep going. And so is it just a matter of it's plugging the plumbing, but enough is getting by to keep the plant alive. But then when we go into heat and drought, it can't keep up or what, how does that work?
1: Well, the best way to think of it is uh, it is what we call an endophyte. This bacteria can live in the vascular system of a healthy tree in very low populations. Okay. Uh, uh, and I'm talking about the bacteria is mm-hmm. in low populations in the vascular system. And we're back to these, uh, 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 these native endemic diseases again. Mm-hmm. And the trees have evolved to live with these parasites mm-hmm. in their vascular system. However, if the physiology of that tree changes, let's go mm-hmm. back freeze damage, mm-hmm. uh, uh, severe drought, these sorts of things. If that changes, the bacteria, the population explodes inside the tree. Mm-hmm. And then it is liable to be picked up by the sharpshooters and start getting moved around in the I tree see. population.
0: And it really is ubiquitous. Uh, all kinds of native plants, uh, weeds uh, around. So if it's kind of like it, It's not like it shows up at your doorstep. It's already running it's around the there. property. Yeah. Okay. It's out there. Well, speaking of uh, ubiquitous and an opportunist, uh, another thing that I I don't know if I'm right about this, but I've been predicting we're going to see a lot more of it due to the the drought and stress we had this summer, is hypoxylon canker, and it is an opportunist. So, d- does hypoxylon come in from firewood or or Tell us about Hypoxylon.
1: Uh, well, we just talked about Xylella, so I'll mm-hmm. use that as an analogy. Yeah. Uh, um, the Hypoxylon canker fungus is uh, also ubiqu- ubiquitous. Again, we're back to these endemic pathogens that become emergent, and okay. it will move in and finish off, uh, especially post oaks if they get stressed. Mm-hmm. And this brings us back to oak decline. Mm-hmm. If the tree gets stressed, then then Hypoxylon atropunctatum mm-hmm. is a fungus that will move in and finish that tree off very quickly.
0: Well, we're already getting calls on it. Uh, someone sent me a picture of this dusty, olive, tan, brown material that you put your finger on and it comes off on your finger, but the bark falls off and then that's behind it. And that would be one yes. of the... There's some other looks that hypoxolin can have other than just that one well, described. Well, the very...
1: Yeah, the very first look is the, as you put it, is the light brown dusty color, Mm -hmm. but eventually over time, if you leave that tree standing, which you shouldn't do, by Mm -hmm. the way, the tree should come down Mm -hmm. uh, uh, because it's weakened by the Mm hypoxylin. but it turns a kind of a gray color, Mm -hmm. and then if you leave it standing for years and years and years, or if the tree is in the woods and it falls over, Mm -hmm. it will turn charcoal black. It almost looks like the tree has been burned.
0: Okay. And, but those the the gray is more of a hard surface, right, That's Th- than the soft spores coming off?
1: That's the fungal fruiting body that is formed there so that okay. that, that fungus can grow on that tree for decades because of that hard,
0: crusty okay.
1: uh, uh, fruiting body that it makes.
0: So could you go out to a healthy tree in the in the forest around or around town and find that hypoxalin was present?
1: As a matter of fact, research in Arkansas has shown that up to 30 to 35, 40 percent of the trees, healthy trees mm-hmm. out there, have hypoxalin growing in their uh, underneath their bark. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, research has shown in Europe that hypoxalin actually is good for the tree. Okay. It produces insecticidal compounds that ward off wood-boring insects. So, we have a symbiotic relationship going on here, but once that tree gets weak, yeah. hypoxylon wants to be the organism that takes over, mm-hmm. and so it will kill it off.
0: So, we look and we say hypoxylon killed the tree, but really going back in time to earlier in our conversation all these predisposing factors may have been the wrong species for the site. The soil problems, compaction, drainage, and on and on and on. Coal damage, drought damage. Yeah. Everything just sets it up. Exactly. For that. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, unfortunately, I think we're going to see a lot of it. I also think we're probably going to see more, and I know we're getting out of trees here, but uh, more uh, uh, take all root rot on our St. Augustine lawns that were stressed. Uh, it. I've noticed that when a lawn is stressed, that disease seems to be more of an opportunist on it. Mm-hmm. Not that it only does that, but mm-hmm. uh, we'll see. Just, I hope I'm wrong about that.
1: Well, just to give a quick relevant example the uh, Yopon, mm-hmm. uh, prior to 2011, I had never seen hypoxaline on Yopon before. After 2011, Hypoxylon show, showed up in 2012, 2013, killing, killing the native yopon off like crazy, and we had never seen it. Now, I had not. Maybe other people had observed it. I still haven't seen and, it. And, and now, if you look around when yopon die and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, I've noticed hypoxylon build itself up in the populations. Wow. So, the way you described it is following these stress periods, we're going to see new hypoxalins show
0: up, mm-hmm. and research has shown that that's the case. Okay. Yes. Okay, well, um, I, this is all very interesting. There's a we've we've kind of talked around this, uh, but there's a principle in plant pathology called the disease triangle, and. Uh, I think if, if you could describe that and explain it to the listeners, it would help not just with tree diseases, but it would help them understand the black spot on their roses and, and, and a lot of other things that go right. on out there in nature. We tell us about that?
1: Right. Uh, I, I spend a week on the disease triangle when I, when I used to teach plant pathology 301. A week? Uh, a week on the disease triangle. <laughs> All right. Triangle. Well, we have 10 <laughs> minutes. so Okay. <laughs> uh, um, so the disease triangle is a teaching tool, really, mm-hmm. that plant pathologists came up with to try to explain the complexities of of diagnosing and studying uh, plant diseases. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the tool is the geometric figure, the triangle. And Mm -hmm. we say that there are three factors that always have to be present in order for a plant disease to uh, become epidemic let's mm-hmm. say for the disease to really break out uh, the first one is naturally a susceptible host mm-hmm. you're going you're not going to have oak wilt if you don't have an oak tree in your yard mm-hmm. so so right. w- w- that that's one of the things but notice that I s- said susceptible host uh, 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 it has to be susceptible to the diseases that we're concerned about the next is going to be the pathogen has to be present now there is an axiom in plant pathology that most pathogens Pathogens are already present out in the environment it's it, it's just that we don't notice them mm-hmm. and, and this is this is true of many many of the landscape pathogens oh. that we have out there yeah. uh, uh entomosporium on your uh oh what's the shrub i'm trying to uh, think uh, of indian hawthorn thank red, you red tip yeah, I'm, like i said i'm a tree guy but, okay. but let's say entomosporium on yeah. indian hawthorns always out there mm-hmm. it's just some years you see it mm-hmm. and other years you don't see it yeah and so that so most pathogens yeah. are always there. And then finally, the third part of the triangle, the third apices, the point on the triangle, would be the, the conducive environment. Okay. The environment has to be right for the disease to occur. Mm-hmm. And if if any one of these is not mm-hmm. in, uh, let's say, that that uh, state of being that allows the, the three factors to work together, mm-hmm. then you're not going
0: to see the disease that year. So I like to think of it as a stool. Uh, all you have to do is Cut off one leg of the stool and it falls over. Stool's no good anymore. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You mentioned the Indian hawthorn. Uh, That's a good example of the disease triangle because while they are susceptible, if you move them into shade versus sun and if you start having your pop-up sprinkler in the shrub bed wet the foliage, it just... Ten times worse than than it exactly. is out in a dry, sunny location.
1: And this is why we always tell people that if you if all of a sudden you start noticing something mm-hmm. going wrong with your plants, yeah. think of this disease triangle first. Yeah. Uh, uh, think of the, the total growing environment that the plant that you've put the plant in, and then start asking yourself what what about what about this site right. uh, 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 could be allowing this disease to develop here
0: seems like over the decades that i've been doing horticulture i've watched a shift from there's a problem let's spray it and kill it to uh, more of a let's develop plants that don't get that problem we see it in roses now oh my gosh there's so many nice disease resistant roses maybe not disease proof but disease resistant and uh that just makes sense right absolutely Uh, if you want to plant a tomato you know what what kills nematodes in the soil? Well, the wrong discussion. What kind of tomato doesn't get nematodes? You know, plant uh, one like Celebrity, which is one of our Texas superstars now. Mm-hmm. that's a VFN-type uh, tomato. Uh,
1: and it's my favorite for that yeah. very reason. Yeah. You're right, it's in my garden. There yeah. you go.
0: Yeah. Well, so as uh, the list, those of you listening, uh, think about that when you look at problems in your yard or that you might encounter. Just think about those three things. Sometimes getting rid of the pathogen other than spraying, killing it, uh, is kind of difficult because they're so ubiquitous, as you were saying. But finding a plant that doesn't get it or looking at what are you doing in the environment that makes it worse. Uh, and I know with, with uh, St. Augustine, we can do a lot of things that increase both disease and insect issues uh, with, with that plant. It's true of all the plants, including the
1: trees mm-hmm. that we started out with. Exactly right.
0: That, that is interesting, the disease triangle foundational uh, for that. Well, we've talked about a lot of the, the common diseases that we're dealing with here. We'll only scratch the surface actually, but uh, of, of trees. But tell us about some of the things you see on the horizon. You mentioned early on that these things that come in new, are often the worst things to deal with. I think you said that. And and yeah. tell us what kinds of things you see out there that might be on the horizon. Well, uh, sometimes we get taken
1: by surprise. Mm-hmm. And so that, that we there are things that we don't realize that are there. We, mm-hmm. We've had one in Texas uh, in the past few years that has invaded from the east. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a fungus called Raffaella loricola, and it attacks that red so- bay trees. That
0: sounds like a uh, salsa <laughs> Uh, dancer. or it, it something. Does, it's, one, it's one of my favorite <laughs> pathogen names. That's a beautiful it, isn't name. Isn't I love it that. Here, exactly.
1: Yeah, but it, it invaded in uh, South Carolina in 2002, and do you know within 13 years it had worked its way down the east coast into Florida, wow. attacking avocado then, in because avocado is in the Lauraceae, which Red Bay is in.
0: Like the Laurel family? Exactly. Uh, okay. The
1: Laurel family. And so it spread all the way down the east coast it spread Uh across the gulf coast and it hit texas in i think 2013 Mm -hmm. and uh now it has shown up in urban environments in north harris county wiping out red bay trees yes which is a very important beautiful shade tree in east texas yes
0: it is do we can you think of any plants that might be or any trees that might be in this area or west of us that might be susceptible to it?
1: That's the peculiar thing about this. Okay. Uh, except for the Gulf Coast, Red Bay does stretch along the Gulf Coast down towards Corpus Christi. Mm-hmm. And we've been having people saying, oh, now they're finding it uh, along the coast, but, yes. but it hasn't been proven yet. Okay, um, But uh, not really. Okay. Uh, uh, this is this is going to be one peculiar to a well, certain good. small family. Sassafras in East Texas yes. is very uh, susceptible to yeah. it. That's where what it, it was first found on Sassafras as a matter of fact, in East Texas.
0: Is that the original root beer? Or, uh,
1: that, yep. I don't know. It <laughs> uh, uh, could be. I know yeah. it's it's
0: the filet and gumbo, right? Yeah, yeah. As a fresh leaves, uh, green yeah. yeah, Well, that, those kind of things are, are always a concern. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, just in general, plant pathology principles. Um, wh- what are some things that that you might consider if you were buying a tree for your yard to plant, Uh what are some species that you might feel a little bit better about that, and I realize you know, there's a hundred things you can answer, but just for you yourself, uh, and what are some other things that y- you would recommend someone consider so that down the line, 20 years, 30 years from now, when they've got this beautiful shade tree, there's no regrets at something that should or should not have been... Uh, done early on. Yeah, I, I, this. How's this, that for a broad question? Yeah,
1: it's one of those tough ones. That, you know, I have my personal choices, and then I have uh, uh, the things. It's often easier for me to say what don't plant. Okay, well. But I'm going <laughs> to. But I'm going to start with one tree that I really like in the Brazos County mm-hmm. area is uh, uh, the bur oak. Bur oak. Um, bur oak uh, people have a knock against it. Mm-hmm. They say, oh, it's so so slow growing. Is, but, yeah. but if it is watered properly, then it grows every bit as fast as mm. a live oak. Okay. Uh, um, and live oak's a good good selection. Mm-hmm. I know we have a lot of them, but mm-hmm. we have a lot of them because they're very low maintenance. Yes. They do really well. So you're going to see a lot of those uh, around. Uh, um, I'm trying to think beyond that that mm-hmm. list. Uh, I know chinkapin oak mm-hmm. has been popular, uh, but during the freeze, chinkapin oaks really got nailed hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I I don't have any numbers on it, yeah. but I'm, I'm a little hesitant about chinkapin oak okay. again, uh, uh, right now. I know, you know, bald cypress is so popular yes. because a lot of our front lawns are very close to yes. a swamp. Yeah. But they really got nailed uh, uh, during this year's drought. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing a lot of mortality on the, the bald cypress. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I, I often recommend people go to the Texas Forest Service website
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and go to the Texas Tree Planting Guide. And it, gosh, it's just a wealth of information about what to plant. I
0: wish I had that. On my on top of my head, it's like uh, Texas Trees I can't it, remember the it, the it, URL, but yeah, it's something it, simple. Yeah, uh,
1: if you just Google Texas Tree Planting Guide mm-hmm. with the Texas Forest Service, yes. you'll get it immediately. And it, it is
0: a wealth of information. You see how to plant a tree. You see the basics of how to prune a tree, and then they have a list of all the the trees that they would suggest county for, by county. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is that is helpful. Uh, I guess uh, one of the things horticulturally that that I see is is how trees are planted. Uh, They come out in a container. A tree that normally would have roots going 20 feet out in all directions is all wound up now in a five-gallon bucket and uh, all the issues planting too deep and, and other things that, again, just predispose and, and create yeah. problems.
1: And we usually recommend natives. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's a good rule of thumb to mm-hmm. stick to the natives, although there are some introduced trees, I have to admit, yeah. that uh, uh, going around the state do very well, and they don't have that problem of escaping mm-hmm. out into the natural woodlands. It's, yeah. it, it, it's not like Chinese tallow yeah. along the Gulf <laughs> Coast and that sort of
0: thing that have created right. enormous economic problems. That is that is true. Uh, one that non-native that I, I really enjoy is Chinese um, fringe. Uh, we have one up at the dig, the Demonstration Idea Garden. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you may be aware of some big diseases on it, but it, nope. it, it doesn't get too big, so it fits modern lots well. It has beautiful white spring blooms, as right. does the native fringe, yeah. Grancy graybeard. Yeah.
1: The Mexican oaks are getting popular now, too, mm-hmm. and they, and they don't yeah. escape, and they seem to do pretty nicely.
0: Well, I tell you, um, we could go another hour to uh, Dr. Apple, but thank you so much uh, for being here today and for visiting with us. Uh, it's been a wealth of information and entertaining as well.
1: Uh, of course. My pleasure, Skip. I- I've really enjoyed it.
0: Well, we've been talking with Dr. David Apple, Professor Emeritus and Extension Program Specialist here at Texas a AgriLife. Uh, And I hope you enjoyed the show. Tell your friends about it. And remember, you can listen to past shows online or you can now podcast these shows. So uh, check your podcast provider and look for garden success. And we will look forward to seeing you again next week. We'll be coming back live again.